All right. Hey, welcome to the fifth episode of Roy's Rants, which last, uh, I think it's about two weeks behind. <laughs> I have had some major uh, setbacks and things. Again, you know, I, um, as an artist, as an artist, creator, whatever you want to call me, um, you know, leftist hippie weirdo. <laughs> I, uh, I work from home and I find myself in situations where I'm on top of the world, I'm making sales, I'm doing great. Sorry for just smacking it picked up. Um, and then I find myself at the bottom of the hill. And unfortunately, the last two weeks, I found myself at the bottom of the hill. And nothing is more frustrating in this day and age than knowing that you don't have a lot of money in your account, knowing that you just got some money, like, okay, I can I can parlay that money into some other things. I gotta get some stuff done. I gotta get some product out. I gotta, gotta do some things. And then getting hit with a bill for an app that you have not used in over a year. <laughs> I went, I, I, I mean, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. Like I went to, I went from like feeling really good today to cussing and screaming in in the, in the flash of an email uh i got billed 180 dollars from um masterclass and i haven't used masterclass in a year i started listening to i think it was neil gaiman and i got really excited but then i got really kind of because these masterclasses it's not like like i mean this is my experience right now from what i've been just kind of sampling from masterclass was you're not getting straight teaching so much like you got to get you kind of got to People who do uh, YouTube videos, like instructional how-tos, and this this works even for Masterclass, they have to toot their own horn for the first 20 some minutes, you know what I mean? Like, it feels very, you gotta, you, you know, it'd be like if I was doing a class on anatomy for illustration, but I went 30 minutes on about all the projects that I've done and all the, uh, you know, what people thought of me and what I do and all that other stuff. That is, that is unfortunately the vibe I get from that. So I was just kind of like, am I, am I making any use of this? Well, I completely forgot. And we had, I had a shared account with my partner. God bless her, love her dearly. Um, I had no clue that my bank account was linked to it though. So I must've, I must've put my bank account in there. Um, cause sure enough, like I got an email. My first thought was this was a scam. They wanted you to like, you know, you ever get those emails where they send you um, a, a bill but it's like, click on this link if you don't, you know, if you wanted to, you know, if you think there's a discrepancy, it's an obvious phishing tactic to like download what are those worm viruses or whatever, you know, those ones that'll like seek out your, your email list and spread like a plague and then shut your crap down. Um, I thought that, uh, I thought that was it, but then I went and checked my account and bam, $180 gone. Um, and I'm having, a, I'm having a real hard time right now with like clients paying me. It's so weird because it's tax season and typically in tax season, people love to spend money. So I haven't had a problem, but this year and you know, knowing that I, I live with an accountant who does taxes, specialize in taxes, she pointed out to me, she goes, no, 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 honey. This year they had to pay back all that child, all that child tax credit, all that advanced credit they got last year, child extra cash, gone. Now, you know, half the time they owe. So that's why you're getting people screwing you, unfortunately. And what I what I really, what really drives me nuts is a simple fact that um, 
these people should know that I live off of this. Like, this is my living. Now, don't get me wrong. Ruth brings home the big bacon. She brings home the big bacon. But I use my money to bring home the, the literal bacon. Like, I buy the food. I pay for certain bills. We just got hit with a gas bill and, you know, car bills. We're trying to get a new car. Like, all this stuff is coming at a time where all of my clients are like, can I pay you in a month? Can I pay, can I get, like... Like, I'm not gonna bid up that thing. It's not worth that. Like, can I can I get it at a discount? Um, can you, can, can I do like what you usually charge for a hundred? Can I get it for a dollar? Yeah, like like crazy tactics. Like I've had so much stuff. I've had people try to do trades on me. I'm like, no, I don't wanna do trades. I need money. I need money. And it's amazing. It's amazing. Like I, I even had a person, you know, who said, well, I can do trades for you right now. I'm like, you owe me. He's like, I know I owe you $139. What if we did trades? I'm like, no, I need the money. I need the money. I have bills too. I have stuff coming out next week that I was aware of that the money that they took today was going to go to that. And so, you know, and that really sucks. That sucks when you get like you get hit with a, and I'm assuming that's a yearly bill. It's been a year because she better not have been paying $180 a month on that and not realizing it. That would like drive me insane because that is not worth having access to YouTube videos, basically, <laughs> specifically with celebrities. Like they could go on YouTube and do it themselves, but it's a whole nother way to make money. So that's my little mini rant out of the way. Why don't we move on to what I really want to talk about today, which is Event Horizon. So Event Horizon was a 1997 sci-fi horror movie directed by Paul W.S. Anderson with writer Philip Eisner. Um, it stars Lawrence Fishburne as Captain Miller, Sam Neill as Dr. Weir. Talk to Weir. Where we're going, we don't need eyes to see. Uh, Kathleen Quinlan as Peters, or Sam Neill would be like, Peters! Oh no, Peters. Oh. Jolie Richardson as Stark, who kind of gives you, like, she's kind of like prototype Miller, or Miller. Uh, prototype Ripley vibes, which is one of the key things that I will talk about my rant today about that. Um, Richard T. Jones as Cooper. Cooper is the likable, um, you know, I don't want to say token black guy, but yeah, because because Lawrence Fishburne's there too. It's not like this cast doesn't have, you know, you know, you know, there's there's a black presence there. Now, Lawrence is like a man under his own. He is he is not defining that he, he has not had to play a role like that in a long time he is leading man you know he is he is the he's the king i absolutely love Lawrence fishburne um recognize cowboy curves <laughs> golly peewee he probably hated that i don't know i've never really seen any interviews about his days at peewee's playhouse but that jerry curl wig and that cowboy outfit whoo degrading um but richard t jones plays cooper cooper is a really likable character he's like super awesome and I love, he is, he is the comedy relief. Um, cause there's times where he almost dies and he's like, what the F, what the shit? Why has this always gotta happen to me? Why has this always gotta happen to me? Why am I being attacked? Why am I getting blown up? What the hell? Uh, but he survives like, okay, spoiler alert for a movie that's been out since 97. He survives, which is awesome. Considering the role, the typical, uh, token black character in these types of movies. And I, I'm glad that we are moving past that era of the token black character. Um, you know, it's so, I, I mean, I'm not trying to get off on a tangent, but I probably am going to get off on a tangent. 
it is so refreshing to see movies with multicultural casts who aren't just your typical stereotype. And let's say all the way into the mid 2000s, even like, you know, 2010s, whatever, you you did have casts that were very much like that. Like, I feel like casts nowadays are a little bit more, um, no, you know, they, they kind of notice that this, this has happened. They're trying to change the game. And I see a lot of pushback from people who, um, sorry to move that gas bill that gouged us yesterday <laughs> on top of this other thing. Uh, we see a lot of people fighting back on that who are like, why can't it just be strong white males in charge? I don't understand. But like, it's, it's you know, you've, you've had your shot. Like there's still plenty of strong white male leads out there. That's, that's the funny thing is I love with that when people like see like the one or two movies with like, or, you know, like, okay, it's got a black lead. Why does it got to have a black lead? Why not? Why? What? What is your problem? What is your problem with that? And that's like Event Horizon. The thing is, like I said, like with Stark, you think Stark's going to be the Ripley character. She's a side character. I mean, she's a survivor, but at the same time, she's not the hero. Lawrence Fishburne's a hero. So, I mean, I do like to flip the script on that. I was like, see, this is a Roy's rant, but I'm not going to say to you, that Event Horizon is a bad film. I would say it's a fun film. What my rant is today is about the praise that this movie is getting right now as being this sci-fi masterpiece when in fact it's incredibly derivative. That's my rant. That's my rant today. It's just a little mini rant. It's not too much, but I still will give this movie praise for other things. It's just this weird revisionist thinking that I want to talk about. But anyway, back to the back to the cast because I started talking about Richard T. Jones and how fascinating I was with Cooper but let's move on. Jack Noseworthy uh it plays Justin he is the uh he's the youngest member of the team as they call him baby boy and all that other stuff um you know it's just it, it is one of those things where he uh he's a good he's a good he's a nice likable character and you don't you don't want anything bad to happen to him. Unfortunately, something incredibly bad happens to him. Um, but uh, yeah, it's 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 an awesome scene. I will give like this will be a rant of praise as well as certain negative things. We'll talk about that other things though. So Jason Isaacs, uh, Draco Malfoy's dad, um, plays DJ Trauma, and everybody laughs at him when he says DJ Trauma, and I think it's because it sounds like a TV show, like TJ Hooker. Um, Sean Pertwee plays Smith, um, Doctor Who's, uh, Doctor Who's son, <laughs> Sean Pertwee. Um, I just noticed that he was in the Two Doors, uh, first episode he dies. I have never watched the Two Doors, um, Ruth loves the Two Doors. Um, what I, what I got from that was that it's sort of period piece, but it's also saucy and sexy. It's kind of like a low-rent Game of Thrones because like bad stuff happens there there's like a beheading within the second episode and everything but they don't really show it so it kind of it it definitely could use some uh, grit I, I, I i'm guessing the tutors was a show that's like we want to do a game of thrones but we want to do we don't want to do all the graphic violence of the fantasy stuff so what can we do where it's like a middle ground uh peter marinker is Killpack. i don't know like who is Killpack? let me look at this casting here um, if I could see his face. I think Kilpak is the captain of the Event Horizon, I'm betting. Kind of looking at his face there. And Holly Chant as Claire. 
Um, we also have Noah Huntley as Burning Man, not to be confused with the um, celebration. Uh, and then there's a bunch, there's like a rescue technician, some event horizon crew, event horizon crew, event horizon crew, event horizon crew. Um, so here's, here's, here's my rant about the event horizon. Um, well, I mean, let's, let's read off the synopsis. Let's, let's, let's go ahead and read off the synopsis. In the year 2047, a group of astronauts are sent to investigate and salvage a long-lost starship, the Event Horizon. The ship disappeared mysteriously seven years before its maiden voyage, and with it return comes even more mystery as the crew of the Lewis and Clark discover the real truth behind its disappearance and something even more terrifying. That was from LostmanExpressNews.net. Um, so yes, taglines, haunted ship, missing crew, infinite evil. Was rated R, although, and we'll get to that, it, it was definitely an NC-17 back in the day. Um, so basically, the crew of Lewis and Clark are rescue, they're, they're rescue retrieval uh, crew. Kind of like Coast Guard, so to speak. They go out to uh, missions, like if an oil refinery is on fire or whatever they gotta do, if a ship, um, if a ship is, is kind of a wash, it's run out of power or whatever, they're, they're that crew, they're emergency techs. Now, um, in this future of, uh, what year did we say, uh, 2047, mankind does do space exploration, but I want to say they, they really have not left the star system itself, this, you know, this solar system. Um, so they've got like space stations and stuff like that hovering around Earth and everything, but they're not like that far ahead. We're not talking Star Trek here. The Event Horizon was supposed to solve that problem. The Event Horizon was supposed to be like the first warp field test. But what it does is it bends reality using an artificial black hole. It's called the Gravity Drive. And Dr. Weir, Sam Neill, created it. But the Event Horizon, uh, on its maiden voyage, uh, does its regular space flight out of known, like, regulated space, like, get away from traffic kind of thing and initiates the gravity drive and poof, gone. The government cooks up a story, says that they blew up. Now, seven years after, it's back and Dr. Weir, the troubled man who created this gravity drive, who is living with the loss of his wife because he let his work. She was clearly uh, going through some shit. She was going through some mental health issues and Dr. Weir, uh, he's stuck in his business. He doesn't, he doesn't like, he doesn't like look after her, kind of lets her be. And so she kills herself, unfortunately. Um, I won't describe that. I will say, you know, anybody listening, if you feel thoughts or whatever, please reach out. Please look up crisis hotlines, suicide crisis hotlines. Do not feel like you go it alone. And I see this every day on social media. I see like people post like the world is such shit. Why should I live? Oh God. It's so like everything's so bad. And it's typically guys who've like gone through a divorce, they're not seeing their kids, that sort of thing like that. And I'm not trying to say it's all that. I mean, you could be single and still be depressed. This isn't a married man or a divorced man's role. I'm just saying I see a lot of it in the toy communities that I that I frequent. Um, you see a lot of guys who go through a lot of stuff. And I think, I think a lot of it, I don't want to guess, but I'm saying a lot of that relationship issues with that, you see it like a lot of toy community guys. And for me in particular, I think a lot of that is guys are using that as an escape to what their problems are and it's destroying their relationship because they're not being open and honest and having a dialogue. And then when it blows up in their face, they're like, what happened? I don't understand because they're not open and they don't talk to each other. So again, it all comes down to talking to each other and communicating. 
Anyway, if you do feel that way, please, 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 please seek out somebody to talk to. And if you can, seek out a professional. If you cannot, seek out someone you know who can help you find a professional, okay? Because not, I am not a licensed physician. I cannot offer you the advice that is going to make you better because I've never gone to school for it. I can talk to you and I can help you out in certain ways, but you really do need a professional because it may be that you need, you have a chemical imbalance, that you need prescriptions, something I cannot I give you. I cannot fill out a prescription for um, Xanax or whatever, anything that you need in order to make you feel better. So seek out a professional or seek out a friend to help you find a professional if you feel lost and you can't do that. Anyway, back to the story. So uh, the government, the space government, I can't remember, UCNC or something like that, uh, send out the Lois and Clark with Dr. Weir to retrieve this event horizon that is now returned. So we have a we have a doctor who is plagued by memories of the loss of his wife. Um, you have uh, you have Captain Miller who is by the book and really stern and incredibly protective of his crew, and they do find out why. Um, you've got Peters who is a doctor who is struggling with her child who had a defect. We learned this through some flashes. We'll talk about that here in a bit. Um, that her child has some medical issues and is go is has a bad separation, or I just say bad, but um, has has separated from her husband or whatever. Her husband's taking care of a kid while she's on this mission. Stark, who is kind of like the second in command, she um, it's 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 a very interesting relationship between her. Julie Richardson's character and Lawrence Fishburne's character because like for example when they come out of cryosleep and we'll talk about the rants like I'm going to talk about the story and then I'll talk about my rants here in a second when they come out of cryosleep she's just kind of like waking up and everything and Lawrence Fishburne's character is like yo what's the status of my crew and the ship and everything and she's like do you mind if I put on pants first and it's just as a matter of fact I do get your shit together you know it's like he is so stern and by the book about things that he comes off as a little off-putting at first. But the best part about this is every time the captain says something that seems very, um, like he's angry with his crew, his crew understands. His crew gets why he's like this. Um, and, and, you know, like, the, you know, you've got Cooper, who is just, he's so likable. He just, he flirts with Stark. He, he, he takes care of Justin. He's just a super nice guy and gets along with everybody. Um, except for Dr. Weir, and we'll get to that in a second. Um, and then, of course, like I said, Justin, or as they call him, Baby Bear, Jack Noseworthy. Uh, he, uh, you know, he's just he's just agreeable. He's just a nice guy, just a young, young kid. And then you've got DJ by Jason Isaacs, who's very aloof. Um, he, I mean, he'll talk to the doctor, but he's not, he's not, like, super friendly to anybody, except for Lawrence Fishburne's character. Like, they have a past. You can tell they have a past. They've, they've come up through the ranks together. At least a little bit. And then Sean Pertwee as Smith. He is the mechanic. He is, you know, he's he's a nice guy, but he's very, he's very, he's, his character is almost, he's engineer, and he's very much like the engineers on Alien. There's, there's my first, there's my first point out of the derivative nature of this film. Um, because he's like, why can't we go to Mars? I mean, Mars has got women, you know? Like, he's that guy. He's like, eh, I'm a guy's guy, whatever, but he's British, so he's proper. So anyways, they all wake up and stay, yeah, out of stasis. They almost crash into the, the, 
event horizon and once they're at a standstill and to figure out things, uh, you know, and I hope I'm not telling this out of order. I, I, I watch this film all the time as like a, a guilty pleasure, but maybe I'm not remembering events exactly the same. Uh, and Sam Neill's character uh, talks to everybody and he, he does like the instruction. It's kind of, it's very much like Aliens when uh, Ripley is describing um, the aliens to the Marines and everybody's just like, whatever, uh, you know make jerk off motion you know we're not afraid of that shit uh when sam describes you know what happened to the event horizon they're like well that's bullshit because it blew up and they're like nope you know actually now i think about this speech actually happens before they run into the event horizon before they actually go into stasis so my bad (laughs) my bad but right off the bat like when sam like he's like oh thanks for having me here the captain's like hey we don't want you here because we don't want to be here we were taking off leave and if we're traveling out this far we're you know into unknown territory we could lose the crew and i don't want to lose crew so you know tell us about the story tell us what we need to do sam goes through the whole you know rigmarole of how it it went into space and disappeared he destroys one of uh smith's uh piece you know pieces of lovely artwork pinup girls so he's already pissing off the engineer to explain how the gravity drive works which how it works is it basically creates you know the, the the fastest point the fastest route between two points is a straight line well, the gravity drive eliminates that. The gravity drive is says the fastest point between two points is zero. So basically it creates a, a little poor wormhole from point A to point B and boom, it's there. So it's not it's not quite warp speed. It is, it, it, it cheats. It rips through reality for, uh, basically using null space. Um, so we don't know where it's been for seven years. It disappeared for seven years, it reappears. That is never explained in this film why it just reappears, except for the fact that it needs a new crew, and we'll get to that in a minute. Um, so once they figure all that out, and they do their they do the cryo sleep thing again, aliens, uh, and also when they wake up, you know, well Sam Neill has nightmares while he's in cryo about his wife. He keeps going back to his wife, um, killing herself, and it, and it is it is very hurtful. There is. I will say in this film, there are character moments. You can't say that there aren't character moments. It's kind of weirdly disjointed towards the end there because they do such great character moments in the beginning for a lot of these characters. And yet, once the death starts, once the murders start, once the chaos and the ship killing everybody starts, that's when characterization kind of throws out the window and it's just it's just a typical horror film, you know, and then there were one kind of like 10 Little Indians kind of vibe. But anyway... He wakes up out of cryo sleep. He's coughing up shit because they're in like these tubes of water and he's choking. And they're like, "Oh, you got sickness, stasis sickness. It'll pass." It's straight out of Alien. It's straight out of Alien and Aliens. You know, cryo sleep and, and how it wrecks your body. Um, you know, and then they like get ready to you know do their thing. Caps, you know, bitches out Stark. Whatever they get, they get ready. And they realize they're like, you know, there's this one little minor scare just for scare's sake where it almost cra- the Lois and the Lewis and Clark almost, sorry, I keep going Lois and Clark because I just want to watch Superman. The Lewis and Clark uh, almost crashes into the event horizon. Uh, but they, you know, they don't. Crisis averted. They link up with the ship. They tear apart a little bit of the ship, again, causing problems between Smith and Dr. Weir. Um, because, you know, these are, these, these rescue people, they're cowboys and Smith is a little civilized guy. It's just established that there's like, you know, it's kind of like a company man, an alien versus the grunts, you know? All right. So they start exploring the ship and you see some, 
what was great CG for 1997 is now very cartoonish looking floating objects around stuff and I don't blame the movie for that I don't I don't you know you gotta do it you gotta do it um you know like like everything's frozen but there's like a bottle of water and it's moving around I'm like wait a minute shouldn't that be frozen too shouldn't the liquid inside but they wanted to animate moving liquid to show they could do it so that's why um so they start exploring the ship and they, they find a floating body that's all like clawed up and everything and you know they, they, they explore, explore, explore. And as they explore, you know, they finally get the doctor on board. There's there's some tension there because he wants to go on the ship immediately. Lawrence Fishburne character, one, you know, says, nope, nope, safety first. And that, that, there's, there's always, like, every other three minutes, Sam Neill's character bumps heads with one of these rescue technicians or the captain because he wants to explore, he wants to do this, he wants to do that. And they're like, nope, nope, sorry, doc whatever so it, it keeps leading that tension that obvious tension that is going to make him the big bad at the end of the movie which is fine i still love it again love the movie i just have rants about some originality going on here one of the things um you know like that is that is big about this the the rant is the look of the ships it's so obviously the nostromo from Alien, like like a lot of the ship's design, uh, you know, are so obviously inspired by Alien and Aliens. Um, not, I mean, not the Event Horizon's gothic moments; those we'll get into in a bit. But like the regular ship stuff, the Lois and Clark stuff, it's just so obvious that it's Nostromo inspired and stuff like that. But anyway, I digress. We're still going on the story, so people start getting hallucinations as they're starting to, you know, unlock these mysteries. The crew of the last one left a video of like screaming bloody murder and someone going liberate me. Um, and so they're like, think it says save us or whatever. And so they're starting to realize something really bad happened on board the ship and they're starting to have hallucinations. Uh, Kathleen Quinlan's Peter's character has hallucinations that she's seeing her son and his legs are all deteriorated and gross. Lawrence Fishburne's character Miller starts seeing uh, Burning Man, um, one of the uh, crewmen under a ship he used to he used to be part of. He wasn't a captain then, and there was a fire in space. And he just, there's this great scene where he admits to DJ that he's seeing things, and he describes how this person died. He describes about fire in zero g, and I don't know if it's the actual science of it. I've never actually seen an experiment with fire in zero g. I don't even know if they've done one, but he describes it as liquid splashing like waves over this person and the way he describes it was like so like it's creepy it's creepy and it, and it shocks you and you're like holy shit that's you know that's a great description of a uh, horrible horrible event um and so you know as they're exploring the ship and they start seeing these things like jack knows where this justin character goes into the engine room of the event horizon gravity drive and he gets sucked into it and it causes a catastrophic event that damages the Lois and Clark and forces them all to be on the event horizon. You know, and they start, like I said, they start having these hallucinations. Now they're forced on the ship. It starts getting worse and worse. It's a haunted house movie. It's, it's Stephen King's shining, uh, you know, moments there. So, so like if I were to like, if I were to say this movie is three movies, it is Alien first. Uh, Shining second and Hellraiser last. Put in a freaking blender and set to puree. 
So, you know, and, and Weir starts seeing, you know, hallucinations of his wife. So all these people are having these hallucinations. I think Stark, you don't really see her hallucinations. You don't see Cooper's hallucinations. You don't see DJ's hallucinations. You're not even sure. You don't see Smith's hallucinations. Um, but like, Justin gets pulled into the drive. He gets pulled out, like Cooper rescues him. Um, he has seen some shit. We don't see what he's seen. He has seen some shit. He is put into a catatonic state. And then, you know, while these hallucinations get bigger and bigger and bigger, Justin wakes up, goes into the airlock without a suit, and initiates a decompression. Now, I will give this movie credit. This description of what happens when you get out into space is the most graphic. Like, I, I'm surprised that the, um, the, uh, national, oh, what is the, what is the, what is the people who, who screw the, uh, <laughs> uh, you know what I'm talking about? The, the, the MPAA, the MPAA. The people who tell you whether or not this movie can come out in the cut, like, I'm surprised they let this go, but they cut so much out of it, that's probably one of the things. Little, little hint, if you're making a horror movie, make the most graphic, gross, disgusting scenes, then have alternate versions that are, like, t- tamer, but still what you want. Because the MPAA will be like, hell no, we're not releasing that. You cut to the other one that you want, they'll be like, oh, that's fine. They're so easily fooled. <laughs> people do that all the time. Like, you make the most balls-out crazy scene, and that way you can get away with what you really want. But Paul wanted everything that got cut. He wanted it all in there. Um, so like I said, there, you know, like Justin wakes up and he goes to, to throw himself in an airlock. And he gets thrown out into space without a spacesuit. He's just wearing his... Um, now the one thing I will say they didn't show, which they should have, is that if you're out into outer space, like... And he gets out. He gets out into space. He's not just stuck in the corridor that opens up. You probably would freeze instantly. Like you're, you, you know, they, they don't show him freezing, but his blood. Like Lawrence tells him what to do. He's like, put yourself into a ball, huff and puff, and blow all the air out of yourself. Like if you can, like, like almost starve yourself of oxygen, because the vacuum of space is going to try and suck all that out anyway. So you're like, if there's nothing there, maybe that'll help. It's, 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 I don't know. I am not a scientist. I'm just guessing. But anyway, blood starts coming out of his veins, start popping and everything. It's freaking insane. Um, Captain Miller saves him. Captain Miller saves him, but he is in bad shape. Um, and before this happens, though, when he turned to, he turned, like... Like before he unlock he unlocks the airlock, the crew is desperately trying to get him out of it and get him to snap out of it. And he basically tells um, Peters, the doctor, um, if you saw what I saw, you wouldn't stop me. Great lines. Like I will say, this movie has great lines and great. A- they hired a phenomenal cast to pull this off because a lesser cast, you would you would not see the praise people give it these days. You would not. You'd be like, whatever, it's a piece of shit. So, praise to the cast for this. Anyway, after this, more, you know, I think there's, like, some hallucinations, whatever. I'm probably getting it all out of order, because I did not watch it this morning. Sorry, I was going to, but I kept putting it off last week. I was like, I've seen this enough times, I can kind of tell the story. Um, 
the captain finally gets to see the full video of what the hell is going on, what the hell happened to the last crew. And um, basically he says, F this ship. Once we get the other ship fixed, we're off of here. And at that time, Cooper is fixing the ship. He's like, yeah, we're done. Um, and the captain's like, or Dr. Weir uh, says to him, like, whoa, what are you talking about? We, we were supposed to retrieve all the data, salvage the ship. He's like, your ship tried to kill its last crew. In the video I saw, they're ripping their eyeballs out. They're singing, Liberate tutte me ex infernis. Save yourself from hell. Um, and and there are people stuffing their their hands down their throat and pulling out their own gizzards. There's people raping people. There's all sorts of crazy shit going on in that video. And side point, apparently there was a there's a there's a ton of footage cut from this movie, in particular this particular scene, where Paul W. S. Anderson hired porn stars for the sex scenes and amputees for the amputation scenes. Like, they're like, oh, you're missing a limb, we'll put a fake limb and have you cut it off. Um, you know, oh, you, you like the you like the screw on camera? Well, we're gonna have you screw, but we're gonna have you screw a person to death. <laughs> and unfortunately, like, that got, but MPA was like, hell no, you know, and, and I think even the studio was like, hell no. Like, I already know what the MPA is gonna say about this. So that shit got cut, and then um, supposedly the footage has been destroyed. It is lost to time at this point. Um, there's been talk about making a longer cut if that footage is ever found. And typically in these situations, you do find out that someone's had it. Someone's had it all along. They hit it, whatever, took it, didn't, didn't notice, didn't know what it was, but held onto it anyway. Um, so there is unfortunate, like, I think there's some VHS rough cuts, like they had some stuff transcribed to VHS to just dailies. Um, but it's really bad condition, so there's really nothing worth like putting together. But who knows, maybe someday, maybe 10 years from now, someone will like crack open a vault and find it. But as of right now, that footage is missing. You will never see the director's cut of Event Horizon. So anyway, uh, Doc, Dr. Weir and Captain Miller kind of come to blows. And Weir has, you know, they have a fight, they have a semi-fight and then it starts, the ship starts getting funky. Weir has a scene with his wife, um, she has no eyes, by the way. Where he ends up, like, hallucinating that she's taking his eyes away. He gouges his own eyes out. And then he goes over to Lewis and Clark, takes one of these... Oh, that was another plot device I forgot. So the Event Horizon is kind of like uh, um, the Captain's Bridge, you know, bridge, um, any kind of other life functions, a corridor, and then this gravity drive, you know, the engines and everything, separate. And there are blast charges in this hallway, this corridor between the two. In case something goes wrong with the uh, engine, they can like blow the corridor and use the front as a life pod and kind of escape uh, while the crazy sci-fi engine loses its shit. Well, Captain Miller discovers one of these charges is missing while Smith is working on the ship on the interior, uh, the Lois and Clark, while Cooper is working on the, 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 ba- the, the outside of the interior, like trying to steal um, patches. Um, so Weir plants a bomb on the Lois and Clark, and poor Smitty, poor Sean Pertwee, uh, discovers it just as there's five seconds left for it, for him to defuse it, so he has no time. So basically just sits there and kind of cries, because he realizes he is, he is about to meet his maker. And the, sh- the Lois and Clark blows up, and poor Coop, Coop is sent into space, everybody thinks he's dead. 
Um, and Weir is back on board the Event Horizon. Weir has now become full bad guy. Um, and Cap tells DJ, and DJ is supposed to be this mysterious badass. Like, he's, like, quiet, doesn't say a lot. Um, tells, tells, you know, DJ to watch out for Weir. And I totally forgot. We've already, I've already, see, this is, this is a problem. I should have watched this. I should have wrote down notes for this. Um, you know, Cap tells DJ to watch out for Weir. Um, I missed an important scene. It's part of my rant. So there's a scene before all this, before before Weir pulls out his eyes, um, where they decide, like like after they decide they're abandoning the ship, but before he, he has another vision, pulls out his eyes. Uh, Kathleen Quinlan as Peters and Sean Pertwee as Smitty are in this scene uh, where they are pulling uh, CO2 scrubbers from the event horizon to put on board the Lois and Clark in order to um, make sure the ride home works out. This scene is right out of Alien. This is right out of freaking Alien because there's a scene where Vanessa Carwright and uh, Yafet Kodo uh, are pulling out oxygen canisters in order to survive the trip home by blowing up the Nostromo and leaving uh, on their escape ship. Uh, and they need enough oxygen. So there's this whole scene where they're panicking. And an alien, um, they don't make it out of that scene because the alien shows up and kills Yafet Kodo while Vanessa Carter just stands there crying, looking like an idiot. And then there's this incredibly, I hate to say it, very R-wordy scene where the alien takes its tail and goes right up between her her legs and you hear you hear her make these incredibly weird noises before she screams and dies so um very r-wordy scene but anyway same scene and and remember what i said earlier where there's a lot of character development in the first half of the movie but then once the killing starts like people just start panicking doing stupid shit so cooper's like we gotta go we gotta go he leaves he leaves peter's and Peters is still kind of counting stuff, and she hears something. She hears her son. And that's the thing about this ship. It, like, sends hallucinations, but you kind of get sucked into it. So it's like, even though she knows her son cannot be here, she gets drawn into this other room and near the engine room, which is, like, this empty pit. Like, there's a pit down at the bottom of the engine room, and she's above it. And the, the, the ghost boy of her son lures her away. She falls to her death. And this is where Sam Neill comes and finds her. And he's like, oh, Peters, what happened? Freaking nobody else, like only Dr. Weir is like, oh, Peters. Everybody else is like, where? Nobody says, where's Peters? They move on. They don't say, where did she go? Like nobody mentions her. She just disappears to them. And they say, well, the ship must have got her or anything. Like there is no mention of her death. It's very, that. that's one where like, there has to be a scene that's cut there where somebody says, where's Peters? Like, why the cat be like, Peters, give me an update. Smitty, where's Peters? And Peters like, I don't, or, you know, Smitty's like, I don't know. I ran out of the room and forgot about her. You know, like, there's no scene like that. Which is, I'm like, eh, there's a ding for that. But, you know, that's when Dr. Weir has a hallucination about his wife gouging out his eyes and rips out his eyes. It's after he discovers Peter's body. So, Peter's dead. Um, Justin, catatonic, again, this time medically because of the blood going out of his body. Um, Smitty blown up. Um, Coop is flying through space. But DJ is like, I'll handle Weir. 
But no, he's not. That's the best part. They build up this DJ character as this ultimate badass. Two seconds, Dr. Weird takes his ass out, cuts him open. Like, there's this huge surgical scar across his chest, like, down his chest. Uh, nobody talks about that. There's, like, all this intrigue, all this character detail of these characters, but nobody talks about, like, DJ's thing. And I kind of want to know more about DJ. That's my one big critique about that. kind of want to know more about DJ. Doesn't matter, though, because Dr. Weird makes real quick work of him. Uh, and, of course, Captain Miller finds, finds his body... And he's splayed open, his organs are on the floor, and his skin is draped open, held up by hooks. Does that sound familiar to you at all? Does that give you, oh, I don't know, a Hellraiser vibe? Mind you, the Hellraiser had come out in 1987, the movie, and uh, the Hellbound, uh, Hellbound Heart. God, I have no clue how long ago that book was. But either way, so freaking obvious a Hellraiser nod right there. And let's describe the engine room while I talk about it. It's all spikes and rotating balls and rings and stuff like that, almost like a puzzle. Kind of like puzzle box almost, not box, round. And all of these things kind of like light up and there's all these grooves and stuff in that, kind of like the Le Marchand construct. Like, it's almost like the building like in Hellraiser 4 where like, it's really cheaply done because they had like zero budget, but the building gets absorbed by the box. The box influenced the building's construction. So you see all these, ornate like Le Marchand device um, decorations so like this is done much better I will give it that I will give it props like had had the building in Hellraiser 4 had a bigger budget I'm sure it wouldn't just be like here's a part of the box on the side of the wall and then just gray concrete um, but yeah like I, I, I it's definitely now entering Hellraiser territory so you know Dr. Weir um now confronts, uh, well, I should say the captain and Stark cross paths with Dr. Weir in the command, in the command bridge of the, uh, of the event horizon. He's got no eyes and he's holding one of those drill gun things that the bolt, the bolt, bolt guns that everybody used to fix the ship and, uh, let's kill some people with it, or at least try to. And they're starting to kind of describe, you know, what's going on and captain or Dr. Weir, who's like, the ship has gone to hell and back, and it needs a new crew. You're the crew. And it's like, but it's killing everybody, so how is there a crew? I don't understand. There, There's this weird thing where it's like it's collecting people, but I'm like, is it really collecting people as a crew, or is it collecting souls? It's not like you see the crew of the Event Horizon, ghost crew, keeping the ship together. It's not like that at all. It's, um... It, it, it is it is like very un, ill-defined, I should say. Uh, again, more Hellraiser-type stuff, where it's like, okay, now we're getting into the supernatural stuff. Uh, Cooper interrupts this by floating his way back to the Event Horizon, just in time for Dr. Weir to flip out, shoot the uh, window, the glass, you know, because um, in space, and they like they gotta have the windows for the command bridge, even though you should have like cameras at this point. You probably don't need something where space debris can come through and break it and kill everybody. Um, but who, what do I know? I'm not an engineer. But besides which, windows and ships look cool. Bridge windows, cool. Um, so Cooper's still alive, distracts Weir. Weir breaks the windows. Stark and Captain hold for on for dear life where Weir gets sucked out. So like, okay, Weir's dead now. We don't have to worry about him anymore. Or do we? Um, so now it's up to Cooper who gets back on board the ship uh, Miller and Stark to to 
basically blow up the corridor, get on the lifeboat, leave Dr. Weir with the engine, let him go back to hell for all he wants. Or actually, I shouldn't say that. I, I gave it away! I gave it away! Dr. Weir's still alive. Or is he? Um, but anyway, they have this plan. And so Stark and Cooper try to get prep the, you know, the stasis pods on board the Event Horizon for them. Whereas Miller goes to get the bomb and everything, and he is confronted by Burning Man! Yeah, you go to Burning Man? Um, do some ecstasy, man. Have a great time. Maybe you know, piss and shit yourself in the desert. Anyway, <laughs> Burning Man morphs into Weir, Uber Weir, who is all cut up like a freaking Cenobite, but he's naked. He ain't got no junk, though. Um, and it has this great lines where he's like, you know, your crew is still alive. I'm like, really? Because I've seen them die. Like, and he keep they. He's like, do you see? And he, and he holds on to to Miller's face and he's giving him flashes of what's going on. He's like, do you see? Um. So you know, Miller is like, I do see. I, I do see. You know, and he's got the timer in his hand to blow up the corridor, and he sacrifices himself. Oh my God! I have a I have a minute. The maximum recording time is sixty. I have fifteen minutes. I got to wrap this up. <laughs> uh, hits the uh, hits the uh, timer and blows up the corridor, separating him from the lifeboat. Cooper and uh, Stark escape, where Miller and Weir are sucked into that hell dimension. And there's a little jump scare at the end, or a little like cheap scare where Stark has a dream that. Weir is one of the uh, the um, rescue crew that picks him up. And then cut to, um, it's not Smack My Bitch Up. It, 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 oh man, what is it? Oh, the, the, the funky shit. <laughs> um, not Fire, what is that band? Anyway, it's some cool um, techno music plays in the background. The end. So. What are the uh, comparisons? I know, like, I keep forgetting, like, this hour-long thing. I gotta figure out, because, like, there are people who have over-hour-long things or anchors. I don't know what it takes to get get that, you know, (laughs) get that setting. But, uh, let's see, we got, like, 14 minutes. Okay, number one. Alien has a certain aesthetic that has the used universe kind of thing, kind of like Star Wars. And this does it in spades. It does, you know, and I'm not saying that's wholly alien territory, but it's so clearly obvious that they are matching the look of the Nostromo and its design and everything. And even camera movements. There is like, Ridley had his cameraman interact with the Nostromo's environment where like, they hit chimes and you hear the chimes, like kept the noise of the chimes because like the camera, you can still hit it while it's going through. Or, you know, you'd see like wind or something like would affect a seat and stuff like that. They do that in this film. Like, you can tell Anderson was like, yeah, I want to do that. That looks cool. Because people will be like, why? That's why. Um, the stasis pods, so alien. Just the way they're described. How they look. How everybody in the movie is their last name. Um, even Justin is not really Justin. I believe Justin is his last name. Um, DJ is probably the only one that isn't. And Claire, okay? Uh, Claire the ghost has her first name. Um... D, you know, DJ might be, you know, it's it's like a like a nickname or whatever. But, you, you know, you, everybody else is all last name. That is straight out of Alien, the way they refer to each other. Uh, you know, miners in space. It's like this this blue-collar guy in space dealing with this, uh, you know, this crazy thing. Um, so obviously ripped off from Alien. 
and like I said, the uh, the um, escape, the, the 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 changing of the tubes uh, thing ripped right out of Alien. Um, and, and I think I think even like the, the the androgynous nature of the characters or whatever, like you know, Miller could have been played by a woman. That was one of the things about the script of Alien was like these can be women or men. It doesn't matter. We you know, it just this sexuality doesn't make. Cooper is probably the only one who flirts with Stark, okay? But Stark also, again, barely makes any comments, doesn't, like, even though she's the young female of the crew, she's not dressed sexually or anything like that, doesn't make any, it's just so obvious. And it was so weird, like, the other day I was listening to a podcast where they, they made this movie sound like it was this sci-fi masterpiece that nobody appreciated. And, and I get it, because it, when it came out, it came out like a fart in the wind. Um, it was video rentals and stuff like that, it kind of kept it going. Um, but the, the thing about just every little thing, it borrows from every other little thing. Paul W. Anderson, Paul W. S. Anderson loves to borrow from stuff. And I don't, I don't like, as long as he does it good, it's great. You know, his last couple Resident Evil movies were very blah. Like, I have no clue, like what he was thinking. Like, he just kept dragging it out. I'm like, move on to another project. It's okay if you end this thing, you know? And his last movie, uh, part six of Resident Evil, was such a mess that um, I, I just, I, I can't explain it. I'm like, that, that was a horrible, horrible movie. Part five was not a great movie, very derivative. Um, it was and literally trying to make it a video game movie. It had levels. Literally each set piece was a level, it was weird. Um, I knew, I, I got what he was doing. I don't think anybody's ever discussed that where it's just literally a video game scenario. Um, each scene is a new level. Like I, I, I've never heard anybody talk about it, but I, I got that observation right off the bat. Um, but you know, I, I, I mean, I do feel, I do feel there are good points. There are good points to seeing Event Horizon and enjoying it for the guilty pleasure that it is. I don't feel like it should be considered right up there with Alien itself. Um, it clearly uses stuff from Hellraiser. Like I said, there's hell, all this Hellraiser imagery at the end, especially with the tortured crew implemented with metal and stuff like that. It's like so obvious, like pinhead looking and stuff. Um, Dr. Weir's design, very Cenobite looking. Um, you know, all he was missing was some black leather and some spikes or pins or whatever. Um, you know, as for The Shining, yeah, the, the haunted house scenario literally with the hallucinations getting stronger and stronger and stronger and affecting what you do in real life. It's so obviously shining, you know? Um, maybe watch it yourself. Maybe you'll find even more comparisons you can tell me about. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out the email th situation here to contact me and all that stuff. I gotta, I gotta sit down and actually dig into how to use this app perfectly because I know that's an option and everything. I've just been kind of like talking, talking out my ass for the last couple weeks. But anyway, um... I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I hope you enjoyed um, my description of Event Horizon, and what I thought of uh, the similarities to other films. Go see it. I do recommend it. It's a great guilty pleasure. I watch it all the time along with The Thing or Alien. They're good, fun movies to rewatch. You'll get to see new things, stuff you missed the last time. And maybe someday they'll find the rest of the footage and you know we can watch the debauchery together. <laughs> All right, this is Roy Stiffy. You've been listening to Roy's Rants. I hope you have a fantastic day and be on the lookout for future rants about future things. I got to figure out what to do next. Bye-bye.